All right. Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping at Dorsville Baptist Church. I'm looking out that door there and confirming what a few hugs said this morning. I'm kind of a hugging guy, and some of you I hugged were wet. And I assumed either you were sweating very badly or it was raining. So we're going to go over the rain today. But thank you so much for coming today. And for those of us who are, are perhaps here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, uh, we're in a series on surrender. On surrender. And it's entitled The Magnificent Seven. And we are ultimately going to um, talking about what would happen in our lives. How would our lives look like if we took the time every day and really surrendered our eyes? And I know the instant thought is, oh, like, you mean not look at things you shouldn't look at? Well, really bigger than that. Like, what if we were to see things the way God sees things? What if we were to see our marriage the way God sees our marriage? Uh, what would happen if we saw people uh, like God sees people? And then, starting today, and we're going to take two weeks on this one, because it's personally significant to me, is our, our ears or our hearing. Um, the voices we hear and how we respond to those voices. And what if we really concentrate on hearing the voice of God? And then we're going to move down and talk about our heart. Actually, I think we're going to work it out where, actually, little Dave is preaching on the, uh, on the 8th, and it's going to be, for him, it's going to be his, the mind. And then we're going to the heart. And then we're going to hands, and we're going to feed, and we're going to hit the mouth along the way. So we're really excited. I'm personally excited because I think this is one of those series that really speaks to me and where I am. Now, I love the title. I have to admit, I love it. It's changed a couple of times. But Jezebel's Song. You know, music is one of those things that really stick in your heart. Really just stick in your crawl. Most of us, anyway. I remember, you know, there's a song entitled Laughter in the Rain, sung by Neil Sedaka back in 1964, and particularly in the fall. It was a pretty big hit. And he goes, oh, I hear laughter in the rain, walking hand in hand with the one I love. And about that time, I had met this young girl named Judy Allen at church, and we were rapidly falling in love. It was a good thing. And so, and so one day we were walking in the park, and it was Sunday afternoon after church. We drove up to Ring Bingham Strait Park, and it was raining, and, and it really had rained a lot. And so we came to several portions of the water where it was flooded, and so I put her on my back, you know, and I'm carrying her, and we're singing, Ooh, I hear laughter in the rain. It was good. <laughs> it really was. And so, and so that became our song. That became one of our, there are two, and I'm going to tell you about Ellen in just a moment. But yeah, it became our song. And so whenever we hear laughter in the rain, we both look at each other and go, it's good. <laughs> it's good, you know? We remember that. I was like, I was like 20, by the way, don't ever let a 20-year-old date your 16-year-old daughter. But she was like 16, fixing to turn 17, and I, and I was 20 years old in the Air Force. It was good. It was good. But anyway, so, so then also about that time came another song um, by the captain of Daniel. You remember it? Love. Love will keep us together. And man, we caught, whoa, shoot that thing, man. So, so that became our song. That really became our song. And we had those songs sang at our wedding. And even to this day, 39 years later, coming up on 39 years, when we hear that love. Now, by the way, the turkeys got divorced. Yeah, Captain Tennille wrote the song, Love Will Keep Us Together. Well, that glue broke. All right? And we looked at Jesus. Well, I don't know if we didn't claim this as our song anymore. But anyway, when we hear love will keep us together, mm-mm, boy, we look at Jesus. It's good. It's good. You know, but then there's another song. Now, the song is, um, now don't correct me if I'm wrong, because y'all know I get facts wrong, okay? Uh, hopefully they're outside the Bible when I get them wrong. But, but um, Gilbert O'Sullivan, I think his name was, and, and he, sang, he sang a song entitled, Alone Again, Naturally. Anybody remember that song? 
Yeah, alone again, naturally. And it's, it's not a bad memory, but it's a lonely memory because, you know, 1972, I joined the Air Force. And I was a homeboy. I mean, didn't be, hadn't been anywhere without mom or dad. And on this crazy whim, I end up in the Air Force, and I'm in basic training on the 4th of July. And, and light, the rules were lights out at 8 o'clock, so lights went out, and I'm sitting there, and I could hear popping of the fireworks, you know, and I think about what the family's doing at home and all that. And so I sneak out of bed, and I look out the window, you know, no air conditioning, hot in San Antonio, Texas, and I see the fireworks going off, and that song pops, song pops in my head. Alone again, naturally. And when I hear that song, I just think about the people that I love. They weren't there, and I was L-O-N... E-L-Y. I was lonely. I was, and that's not such a good memory. It's really not. And then I thought about like, you know, I'd seen something like from Janis Joplin. But I didn't do drugs in the 70s, so I really don't know her songs, you know. I know some, of y'all, some of y'all are probably, oh, yeah, Janis Joplin, I remember that was good music. You were high, dude. You were high. That's why the music was good, all right. But anyway, you know, she had that raspy female voice. And you think about those kind of songs, you go, oh, yeah, those aren't good memories. Well, it's really important that we realize today that there are songs that we still hear. And it's really not songs. It's not, the sermon's not about music, but it is about a woman who sang a very toxic song. And that woman's name was Jezebel. And, and this whole message is really not even about her. It's about what voices do we hear? What song plays in our head? As we go and as we do life, because the songs that we listen to, and again, don't think music, think voices, as they go through our head, then those things play out and really impact the person that we are. You know, a lot of you today, a lot of you today wear scars. And those scars are caused by something that someone said. Along the way, you listened to a voice, and you heard a voice, but more importantly, you listened to that voice, and it left a scar. And again, I tell this story every once in a while, um, just to, because it really impacted me. I do not know the situation. I can't tell you. But I tell you this, I don't remember the words from my mother, I love you. And don't, that's not a compassion story. It's not a, aww. You know, I had a good mom. I really did. I just don't remember those Hugs and affection, and I love you. But I do remember this. One day she looked at me and said, you are a buck-toothed jackrabbit. And I used to have a split in my teeth, and the teeth were larger than they are now. At least it seemed that way. I guess maybe my head was smaller and the teeth were the same size. I don't know. But it really wounded my heart. It really just really wounded my heart. And when I think about my mom's words, I don't think about, I love you. I think about those harmful, hurtful words. And she was having a bad day. I'm sure this is not pick on mom day. It's just saying that those were hurtful words. And a lot of us wear those scars. So what we want to do today is we're going to begin a journey together. And this, these scriptures were included. This is not, I did not look at my previous notes. But these scriptures, of course, were found in our Elijah series. And again, I didn't go back and review those notes, so I wanted to be fresh with us this week. But we want to begin a two-part journey about the things we hear, how they can impact us, and what God wants to do about it. So you really need to come back next week to hear the conclusion of the message. So we're going to begin today in 1 Kings in chapter 16, verses 1 through 5a. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 5a. And we're going to listen to Jezebel's song... 
And what really some things what we can do about it, even initially this week. So we read, and by the way, the scriptures will be on the, on the page here. It's on your sermon sheet in there. And of course, we hope you have your copy of the Word of God today. So the Bible simply says this in verse number one. Ahab told Jezebel. Now, by this time, Ahab, he's the king. He's really wimping out big time. Jezebel, it's almost like Jezebel is running the country. And Jezebel, well, let me just say it this way. I said it about a month ago in a different context, but I'll say it again. Jezebel, you don't, you don't see too many young ladies said, you know, named Jezebel. You know, you don't, you don't hear this happening too much. You know, walking up and saying, hi, this is my son, John, and this is my daughter, Jezebel. You don't hear that because her name has such negative connotation. Simply put, she was a very, very evil woman. So, so Ahab goes to Jezebel and begins telling her all the things that Elijah had done. Now, we need to keep this brief, but you kind of need to know what had happened. And I'll just give you the, the short ended of it. You really need to go back and read these scriptures because they're just powerful. I would love to preach that series again, this wonderful man's life. It's just a powerful uh, story of his life. But the bottom line is, you know, what, what he's immediately talking about was he, she wasn't there, but Elijah had just called out the prophets of Baal. And it's an incredible story. And finally, you know, God like said enough. And so he sends Elijah and he looks at the people and says, so how long are you going to, you know, pass between two gods? You know, if God is God, serve him. And Baal is God, serve him. You know, you've got to make a decision. And they didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. And so basically, in the short, again, the short story, you know, Elijah says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a couple of bulls. And we're going to let the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, we're going to get the prophets of Baal up here. We're going to let them go first. And they're going to offer their, their bull on the altar. Okay, they're going to do their, their worship thing. And then I'll do my worship thing. And here's the deal. We're going to tell the prophets of Baal and I, we're going to call, we're ask God to call down fire from heaven. And the God who answers is really God. Now, isn't that a cool, logical thing? And so that's exactly what they do. The prophets of Baal, they get up there and, and they start doing their thing. They slaughter their, their oxen on the altar and they start calling out. They get really fanatic about it. I'll let you read the story, that part of the story. It's just incredible. They start cutting themselves with stones in their worship. All the things that they would do. Literally, they work themselves up into a frenzy. But God didn't answer. So Elijah starts chiding them. Perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps he's away. Where's your God? He chides them and chides them, and finally nothing's going to happen, and it didn't happen. Of course, we know that's not surprising because they weren't real gods. They were gods, you know, God wannabes, so it didn't happen. So Elijah, it's really cool because it says at the evening sacrifice. The, the Bible says he prepares, actually he says in the New King James, he repairs the altar of the Lord. He takes these 12 stones and rebuilds this great altar. He takes the oxen and sacri- you know, takes the oxen and puts it on the, um, on the table there you know, and, and spills its blood. And then he takes them and have pour water three times until the trench around the altar is overflowing with water. And then at that time of the evening sacrifice, he calls down the power of God. Let, let me read these verses to you because it's kind of important a little bit at the end of the message. It's found in 1 Kings, I'll, I'll read it for you. 1 Kings 18 verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Now listen, this is the important part. The Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. 
and that I have done all these things at your word. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned your, their hearts back to you again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. That's an incredible story. And, of course, the people go nuts. They start going, oh, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And then Elijah says, okay, round up the 450 prophets of Baal and execute them. And that's exactly what happened. So when the Bible says that Ahab you know, went back and told Jezebel all that Elijah has done, that's the story. And she was an intense, devoted Baal worshiper. So I fired her up. And then the last part of the verse, the Bible says, and, and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Oh, now it gets worse. So not only has he mocked her God, and not only has her God been shown for, the, for what he is, a nothing God, all her priests, all her servant priests have now been killed also. And it just sends her over the edge. And the Bible says in verse number 2, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Basically, she sends a message to, messenger to Elijah with this message. You're going to die. You know, may the gods punish me ever so severely if I don't have you dead by tomorrow. Now, on the surface, hopefully you can see that's a pretty light threat. May my gods... Oh, excuse me. You mean the gods that couldn't do anything? You mean the gods where they cut themselves and sacrificed and they didn't bother to show up? Those gods? And you? Oh, yeah, you're queen and everything, but hey. So what? On the surface, it's a really light threat. But she sent this message to him. I'm going to kill you. And I believe the key word is that little word saying. The word saying. Send a messenger saying. In this verse, we see the power of a negative message. We see really the power of words. And more importantly, what happens when those words arrive into a listening ear. We hear these words, this message, and what happens when they arrive into a listening ear. Now, if I was going to name Jezebel's song, it would be the Song of Wormwood. The Song of Wormwood. And you go, what is that, Dwayne? Well, we find the reference in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 10. Again, looking forward to a time yet to come, the Bible says this in Revelation 8.10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of the water. Now, just remember that just for reference point. It fell on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. What we see in Jezebel's voice is a voice that is negative, a voice that is toxic, a voice full of tyranny, a voice full of terror. We hear this voice of wormwood. 
We, we hear a voice that by its very nature causes men to die. Not maybe physically, but to die inside. And I just thought it was ironic when it said that a third of the waters were made bitter. And I wondered this. Now, may I pause a moment and say this? I know some of you people out here, some of you folks, you're so positive. You would never even identify with what I'm fixing to preach about. But, but you may run into someone who does, so I ask you to listen. But the average person, and certainly more than average for some people, we are just very susceptible to what people say. We are very susceptible to the power of a word. And I ask myself this question. As I journey through life, and may I ask you this question, as you journey through life, how much wormwood do you hear? How much of the voices that you hear, how many spe- people speak into your life, how many times does that little voice whisper into your head, and it's wormwood? You know, in our particular case here, and I don't think it really means anything significant for us today, but fully a third of the waters of the earth were made bitter because of this wormwood. And may I propose to you today that in your life, that the amount of wormwood you get into your head is going to deeply impact the way you live? That the amount of wormwood you get into your head is going to deeply impact the person that you are, the dad that you are, the wife that you are, the mother that you are, the student that you are, the employee that you are, the believer in Jesus Christ that you are? So, so what, would, what would Wormwood, what would Jezebel's song look like to us? If, 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 we're, if we have these voices in our head, and sometimes, by the way, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's that, it's that voice in your head. You, know, you find yourself having conversations, which, by the way, you never lose. But sometimes it's a physical voice. Sometimes I believe people speak into our voice and to our lives, and we allow them to have a lot of leeway they should not have. Someone said it once. Sometimes we give people a lot of rent, free rent, in our heads that we should not give them. So, so what does wormwood look like in your life? What did it look like in the life of Elijah? Well, if you're taking notes, write down this. Sometimes it is a voice of fear. It's a voice of fear or terror. And very often, this is a voice, most likely, um, sometimes it has legs and arms and feet, but most likely this voice is something in your head. And it goes something like this, two two or three words. What if? What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if tomorrow? What if I get laid off? What if my child gets in trouble? What if there's a wreck? What if there's an accident? What if he doesn't turn around? What if he's cheating? What if she's cheating? What if? What if? What if? What if my employer finds out? What if the pastor finds out? What if the youth pastor finds out? What if Brother Dave finds out? What, what if we find out? And it causes this humongous amount of fear. So sometimes wormwood, wormwood sounds like terror or it sounds like fear. Now, I'm going to give you something that's very, very important. And it's a verse I use all the time. It's 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let me say it for you again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, Love and a sound mind. So let me just tell you this. And I, and I put it this way whenever I use this verse. 
If you find yourself in an environment of fear, if you find yourself hearing this voice, and this voice always seems to begin its sentence with, what if, what if, what if? You can take it to the bank. That's not the voice of God. God does not give us fear. I'm not I'm talking about that fear that I'm talking about, not the reverential fear of God, that fear of what if. Because, see, if you're living in the what if land, you're living in a land where God's not in control, that God's not big enough, that God can't and God won't. Come on, amen? So, so we are here today to learn that, listen, if we have this voice of terror, this voice of fear in our heads, it is not from God. In fact, I throw this out every once in a while, and I do not remember. I would be glad to give credit to whoever said it. I don't even know the guy's name anymore. But it made a whole lot of sense. And listen to what I'm fixing to say, because it's important. You need to understand that sometimes the devil, when he speaks, can sound a lot like the Holy Spirit. Now you need to look, get this. Sometimes the voice of the devil. And don't be surprised because Paul said we should be surprised if he appears like, like an angel of light. Was it not? Was it not? Was it not the devil who used scripture in tempting the Lord Jesus Christ? So do not, do not be deceived. Understand that sometimes the devil can sound like God. And here's how, again, here's what the guy said that day, whoever it was. He said, if the voice speaking to you is condemning you, it's Satan. If the voice you hear is condemning the sin in your life, it's the Holy Spirit. Look at me. You will not find our God as, as his child condemning, condemning, condemning. That's satanic in nature. Your God will, will chasten you in your sin. Your God will correct you in your sin. But as a child of God, He will not condemn you in your sin. Amen? Powerful. So watch out for these voices. Because again, you know, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe, you know, well, you call yourself a Christian. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of Satan. And some of you today are living in bondage because that's the voice you're choosing to hear. The voice of fear, the voice of terror. Sometimes it does sound like tyranny. Tyranny is, is oppressive control. Oppressive control. And again, this sometimes has lips. There are people who will speak into your life who will try to control. As a pastor, I wish I could just be honest and tell you how often I am tempted by this. I'm a pastor who wants as many people as possible to be happy. But if I'm not careful, sometimes that comes at the cost of obeying God. And I'm learning I would rather have God happy than you happy. But because I had this kink in my armor, this weakness in me... This is something that I battle. There are plenty of people, people in your world, and there's plenty of voices that will speak in your head that want control of you. And they will do it through that oppressive voice of tyranny. They will, you know, what, you know, I'm in control. I'm bigger. I'm more powerful. This is me, and this is mine, and you better. And you've got to be careful of that. You know, Jesus said something, and again, not really the context, but it is the context. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can be a slave to two masters. 
Since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot be slaves of God and. Now that's where I know he's speaking about money, but he's talking about mammon. He's talking about the world, but that's where it does fit. Because if a, if a voice inside your head saying, you can't do that because the cost will be too great. You can't, do, you can't serve God. What if you lose your job? What if? What if? Or someone speaking, your boss says, yeah, but if you don't do this, I'll do that. We had a guy recently, I'm, you know, impacted by this. When you choose the right thing, it may well cost you. But as I told my daughter in another circumstance, you know, it's never right to do wrong. And it's never wrong to do right. Don't let the voice control you. Don't let the voice control you. The voice of tyranny. Perhaps it looks like the voice of toxicity. Or it's toxic. I mean, it's an environment. Perhaps, listen, listen, listen. At school, students, listen. The the crowd you hang around at school. The men you hang around um, at work. And frankly, sometimes the people you hang around in church. And you know and I know it's toxic. It's a situation where you walk in and and the air is almost green because it's poisonous. It's negative. It's critical. Beware of toxic voices. Beware of toxic voices. Students, you know this. There are friends at school who will try to speak into your life and they're toxic. They will lead you away from God in a heartbeat. There are voices at work. They're toxic. There are voices in homes and they're just toxic. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs and chapter 13 verse 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. May I say, a companion of toxic people will suffer harm. I'm talking, I'm not just talking about a positive thinker. We shall be positive thinkers. You know what I'm talking about. When you put poison in an environment, it can be deadly. Remember the bitter? A third of the people died because the water was bitter. Be careful of toxic voices. Be careful of trash Voices. There's a lot of voices that love to remind you what you were. Can I have an amen? amen? It's amazing. You know, there are two animals in the world that's known to have great memories. One is an elephant and two is a Christian. It's amazing to me how often we have no problem reminding people what they used to be. My friend, the key word is what you used to be. What you used to be. I painted a picture here the other day of the depravity of man. You need to understand that before Christ, you were simply separated from a holy God. But by God's amazing grace, you encountered His grace. You encountered Christ. You encountered forgiveness. And He erases the past and gives you a new future. In fact, I love it. His mercies are new every day, the Bible says. And, And He just rewrites our past every single day. It's incredible. It's incredible. But there are people and there are... Oh, there's voices. This one doesn't need lips. This one doesn't need lips. 
Satan will love to remind you of what you did. In fact, by the way, it may be what you did yesterday. But you put that dude under the blood. You ask God, listen, you turn from that sin. Now, God, listen, don't, don't, don't you get sloppy grace on me. Sloppy grace says, well, I'll just go to God and say, hey, God, you know I'm under your grace. Just, just forgive me. No, no, no. True forgiveness revolves repentance. And you may fall in the mud puddle, but you get up and you wipe the mud off. You say, by God's grace, I'm done with that one. And you may stumble tomorrow, but your attitude at that moment is, by God's grace and by His power, I'm done with that one. Sloppy grace says, I'll just live like, no, it doesn't matter because I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I can do what I want to. I'm under grace. That's sloppy grace. It's distorted grace. Distorted grace. Let me read to you. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Someone needs to hear this today. Because you got something three weeks ago and you truly did ask God to forgive you. And you turn from it. Maybe somebody knows. Maybe they don't. And they're just saying, yeah, I can't believe you did that. And they want to constantly remind you. It may be five years ago. I don't know. But here's what you need to hear today. The Apostle Paul writes and says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on and puts a second verse with that. For the law of the spirit of life has set you, woo, come on now, does set you free. 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 This bondage thing of religion, this bondage thing of rule keeping, this bondage thing of, oh, I remember what you did five years ago, that bondage thing. God sets you free. The gospel is freeing. Grace is free. Religious rules and religion is bondage. But he says it sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I love it. You remember Peter? And, And God was fixing to break mold on Peter. And, and he's fixing to use Peter to go see some Gentiles. And so Peter has this vision, you know, and all these unclean animals are in there. And, and God says to Peter in the vision, you know, take and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, Lord. No, no, no. I've never eaten anything unclean. And I might as well read it to you because I got it on my sheet. Acts chapter 10. Verse 14, but Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again. Say, the voice came to him again. The voice came to him again the second time saying, What God has made clean, do not call unclean. Don't you call your brother unclean. Don't you be guilty of calling your brother in Christ. Don't you be guilty of trying to drag his sorry past up because you got a sorry past of your own. Just the truth. The truth. Don't call unclean what God calls clean. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's a message I'll preach. Compromise? <laughs> You hear me compromising that? I ain't hearing compromising that. I heard grace in it. 
I heard that, that, that verse that says, if any man be in Christ, he can be a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. I heard that in it. Watch these voices. The voice of fear, of terror. The voice of control. The voice of trash talking. Watch these voices. Toxicity. Toxic voices. Watch these voices. Now, the incredible part of all this is what happens in verse number 3. Look with me. Then Elijah. Now, remember Elijah? The one, the one who said, you choose today who you're going to serve. Remember Elijah? One who looked, stared down 450 prophets of Baal. Remember Elijah who prayed and said, Now, Lord, I want you to do this that they may know your God. And he, he, did not, he didn't get in a little holy, holy huddle over here and say, Now, God, I want you to bless my food. I'm not praying. No, no, no. Hey, he boldly prayed. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He boldly prayed. Right there in front of the whole bunch. He cut loose with a powerful prayer. That Elijah. The Elijah that he prayed and fire fell. The Elijah that prayed and rain came. The Elijah that prayed and rain quit. The, the Elijah that prayed and a young boy was raised back to life. That Elijah. But Elijah became afraid. And immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there and he went a whole day's journey into the wilderness. What? What? I'll just say something. The person that I'm talking to will get it in a moment. But it's like a conversation I had Friday night with somebody. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me know if you get that, whoever you are. That Elijah, that, that Elijah was afraid. Yeah, you want to know why? He started listening to the wrong voice. See, I told you, if you listen to Wormwood, that bitter water, that Jezebel song, it will greatly impact the person you are in life. And some of you have been listening to Jezebel a long, long time. I wish if you had time and I had time and this ain't a Dwayne, let's hear about Dwayne's story. But if you ever want to hear a story, I'll be glad to share some things with you. Because I have a real tendency to listen to the wrong voices. My staff will tell you that. I wrestle with things. But Elijah became afraid. Fear replaced faith. Fear replaced faith. Let me give you a word encouraging scripture. Here's 2 Chronicles 20.15. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord said. Now, isn't it good it says this is what the Lord says? Because, see, you've got to decide if you're going to look to Jezebel or you're going to listen to Jesus. 
You've got to decide if you're going to listen to the condemner or the one who sets men free from condemnation. You've got to decide the voice you're going to hear. So Mr. Jehoshaphat, and those of you who live in Jerusalem, and those of you who live in Judah, here is the word that I have for you. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Hey, Mr. Elijah, I know you're running for your life. You're afraid. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. My dear brother and sister, on the radio this morning and in the sound of my voice in this room, the battle is not yours, it is God's. And God is more than able to take care of the unseen lips and the lips. You just leave this in His hand, and I done read the end of the book. Come on now. I done read the end of the book, and he takes care of it in the end. Mr. Blabbermouth, accuser of the, of the saints, is going to hell. Come on now. The, the accuser of the brethren has a place reserved and the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and ever. The battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. What then are we to say about these things, Paul says? What then shall we say concerning these things? What shall we say then about the boss who's making unjustified threats? What should we say about the students who mock you in high school? What should we say then about your circumstances that are so extremely difficult, they're indescribable. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, are you going to believe this or not? Are you going to walk out and believe the voice of Jezebel? Are you going to believe that if God is for you, and if you're a child, He is for you today. He's not, he's not halfway on your team. He's on your team. In fact, actually, you're on his team. I mean, let's get it, let's get it theologically correct. If he is, if you are with him, and him is with you, hello, if God's for, how much, what more else do you need? All we've got to do, listen, we've got to hear it, and we've got to believe it. And believe is not a word, it's an action. It's an action. So he is afraid. And the Bible says he runs for his life. Elijah went from offense to defense. He went from being the starting quarterback on God's team to running out of the stadium. The church has done this today. A lot of us have done this. There is a time for defense. But there's a time for offense. We need to be the offensive church. And I don't mean the way that we're the offensive church now. 
The truth is we're offensive. And we're not offensive because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not offensive because we preach that Jesus Christ is the one way, the, the truth way in life. We're not offensive because of that. We're offensive because we think everybody out there stinks and we're all stinkless. That's why we're offensive to the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a, a body of believer who's going to charge the gates of hell. And we'll leave off the water pistol part because it's a little bit facetious. The church has been put on defense because of the loud voices of the minority in America and we need to be strong for the cause of Christ. We need to be on the offense. Jesus said, upon this truth, the truth that I am the Christ, the truth that I am the Messiah, the truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life, the truth that I came to die on that cross to endure the wrath of God and pay for the sins of every man, woman, and child, regardless of skin color or economic status or their position in the world. The truth that I came to die. The truth that I willingly laid my life down. The truth that they put me in a grave. The truth that on the third day, I got up. I got up. And the truth that I am now Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and I'm coming back. But that truth, I'm going to build my church. And listen, the gates of hell. The gates of hell. The fortified gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not talking about us beating hell back. That's talking about the church in the name of Christ charging the gates of hell. We need to get back to that. Now again, I already told you from the get-go, this is as much for me as it is for you. That's as much of a challenge to you as it is to me. To lead this church. To be the kind of church that's not afraid of hell. Not afraid of Satan. Not because we're so big and bad. Because our God is. Because our God is. And that's bad in the good way. He ran for his life. He came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah. He left his servant there. And he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He listened. He went on the defense instead of the offense. He got by himself. I told somebody this week, we really need to understand what church is about. Elijah, for whatever reason, and I didn't figure it out when I preached it four years ago. I don't understand it now. And I don't understand why men do this. Mainly it's men. How we think somehow that we've got to be independent. We don't need anybody. I don't need friends. I don't need close friends. I don't need accountability. And so we get by ourselves. And Elijah, probably at this point, Elijah, Elijah's servant was his best friend. It's kind of like when Nehemiah said he was the cupbearer for the king. He wasn't just a wine taster. He was a close confidant of the king. And this servant was a confidant for Elijah. And he leaves him behind. I need to go this way myself. We need church. But not for the reason you probably think. 
You, you may think, well, I need church because it shows everybody how spiritual I am. I need church because people see my car going and they go, whoo, look how good he is. You need church because a Christian by themselves, a believer by themselves in a very dangerous position. We need church because we need each other. We need church because we need each other. You need to get in a small group. If you're not in a small group, oh, you need to be in one. You need to be in a group of, of people of 12 to 14 or 20 people where you all sit down every week and share life together. There's strength in that. Where someone knows what goes on in your life. Where, where they will pause in their class and pray for you right then. There's something about when the pastor says as a group, you, know, you won't walk alone. But when you're in a group, and there's 12 or 15 people, and you know they know what's going on, that's the kind of not walking alone you need. We need each other. We need the powerful worship that week after week after week after week we get. We are so blessed with our worship team. I mean, I enjoyed what we sang today, but when he started leading us in, my sin, oh, the glorious thought... My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to a cross. Hey, Satan, my sin's been nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It's well with my soul. We need that worship. Come on now. Break out. Thank God. Not every church has got the worship we got. See, I know, I, I know Brother Dave does a wonderful job of trying to balance it between the hymns and the new courses, all that stuff. But every Sunday, have you figured it out? Every Sunday we go to the throne, whether it's fast or slow, new or old. We have a team who takes us to the throne. And there's encouragement in that. There's, we need church. You need someone, whether it be me or Brent or David or, or Ron Jackson, whoever it might be, someone who will teach you every week in a corporate setting. We need the church. Church is not out of vogue. Church is not old-fashioned. Church is still in the Word of God. It's a vital part of our lives. In fact, it's an essential part of our lives. Listen, I, I don't understand this, but you'll be amazed at the number of people who go through a difficult time. Instead of getting deeper involved in church, they get less involved in church. You might be listening to the wrong voice. Listen to this. And let us consider how to stir up one another. I'm doing my best today in the Holy Spirit to stir you up. I'm just telling you what's happening. And let us consider how to stir one another up. To love and good works. Not neglecting the meeting together, the meeting up together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need church. Now, 
If my guess is right, y'all, y'all remember this, I don't ever tell jokes. About the wife who went into the bedroom and said, Honey, you gotta get to go to church. Don't want to go to church. She wrote him like a dog. You got to get up and go to church. I don't want to go to church. You've got to go to church for the preacher. We need church, and the voices will scream in your ear every Sunday morning. Don't go. Only day off. Busy week. Don't feel like it. Rather do this. You know what those voices are saying that for? Because they know the power of what happens here. They know the power of what happens here. We need each other. So the Bible says in verse number 4b, He sat down under a broom tree and prayed. Now, the reason I told you it was important that I read that prayer at the beginning, I want you to see the difference in his prayer life. Here, the beginning was how he prayed when he listened to the voice of the Lord. Notice now he's been listening to Jezebel's song. Listen how different his prayer sounds. He got down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Is that a little bit different? He said, I have had enough. Does that sound a little bit different? Lord... Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. In other words, I'm as good as dead. Is that different? Lord, do this that they may know that you are God in Israel. He goes from praying that to saying, I guess Jezebel is just a little bigger than you, God, because I'm as good as dead. And the Bible says, they lay down and slept under the broom tree. If you're a note taker, one final thought. We're going to call it a day. Toxic hearing leads to a toxic heart, which leads to toxic prayers, which leads to a dead end. I'm going to say it again. Toxic hearing, the voices you listen to that are toxic, leads to a toxic heart, which leads to a toxic prayer life, which leads to a dead end. Did you write that down? That may be the most valuable thing you've heard all day. And it's true. It's true. You know, the best thing that Elijah does in this whole story is verse 5. He laid down and slept under the broom tree. Truth be known, we're going to hear it next week. Elijah was exhausted. It's amazing when we get exhausted how easy it is to listen to those pesky little songs of Jezebel. Now beyond that, you've got to come back next week. We're going to see 
what God does in the life of Elijah and what God desires to do in our life. Now, I want to close about three questions. Number one is this. What voices are you listening to? Now, you know. You know. You know. What voices are you listening to? Who is, who is singing in your ear? What radio stations? Going back to, to Wormwood, what watering hole are you drinking from? Where do you lead your horse to get a drink? What voices are you listening to? In about three weeks, we're going to talk about this. But what voice are you? What voice are you? Now, I'm not talking about occasional things. Again, if you want a short list, I could give you 35 times that I've been incredibly stupid in my mouth. That'd be the short list. But an ongoing nature, what voice are you? When people hear you, you speak with your life and with your lips, what thought comes to their mind? What voice? What voice do you listen to? Where do you drink your water? Where do you lead your horse to drink? And what voice are you? This is so incredibly important. It's important for the kingdom of God. Because when we get to understanding how important this is, we're going to live differently. We're going to be different. And when we are different... That world out there, by God's grace, will be different. They're going to have an insane desire for what we have when it looks a whole lot like Jesus. Would you bow your heads right there? This is our, this is our God time. This is our God time. So... Please, no moving unless you absolutely have to. My invitation, the invitation, our decision time. And in just a moment, the team will be singing. I'll have you stay seated. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, please. I talked earlier in the message about a replica of this Roman cross here. And about the man named Jesus who died. The first message we have today, and I include that part of the message intentionally. Because I want you to hear what we believe about Jesus Christ. There was no mere man. He was the God-man. He was God in the flesh. He was the rescuer. He was the redeemer. He was the savior. He's the hope. What so many of us have in this room today is not religion. It's a relationship. And that's what you need if you've never begin to call God Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by His grace, by turning from your sin and following Him. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. I'm telling you guys, it would make our day and make your life. Just come and say, okay, I want to know more. i got questions. I'm hoping you have answers. And we would love to tell you what we know about Jesus Christ.
We hope you'll come. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, and I know a lot of you, this, well, no, some of you, I think a lot of us deal with this. I think this is a big issue. I'm going to ask you, and of course the altar's open, you may want to come pray about this, but you can pray right there where you are too. But in this invitation time, in this decision time, you might want to be honest and tell God, God, I've been listening to the wrong voices. I know I have. My life is full of fear. My life is full of others controlling both the voices that have lips and the voices that don't. God, I've been convinced I'm trash. I'm a failure and I'm leaving nothing other than a failure. My environment is toxic. I've been listening to the wrong voices. And today, I want to turn from that. Because all that junk is sin. I want to turn from that. If you want the biblical word, I repent of that today. And I want to start listening to your voice. Tonight, we're in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Tonight, this morning, perhaps... Just tell God, God, I've been listening to the wrong voices. I need your help. And you're going to find he'll be right there. And if you find that, that propensity in your life, the propensity in your life, the tendency in your life to be that voice, oh, it's hard for me to say these words because I know too often I do it. To make myself look better or for some other reason. Oh. If you know sometimes and too often on a regular basis, you're that wrong voice. There is a God, one who will forgive you, and two will empower you. He can do it. So what are you going to do with this today? What are you going to do? I'm going to ask the team.